Welcome to Incarnation. If you don't know me, my name's John Hall, I'm one of the pastors here. If you do know me, then you'll know that I'm pretty nerdy. Um, I like to follow the science news. And uh, 2017 has been a big year for scientific discoveries. There have been amazing breakthroughs and discoveries this year. So, I'm going to tell you some of them. This year, uh, astronomers saw through their telescopes the first asteroid from deep space as it swung close to the Earth, it came from deep space. It was the first dark object from outside of our solar system that anyone has ever seen. And uh, it looked like a giant hot dog. Um, also in the news, artificial intelligence is here. Self-learning computers. They became the, uh, the new champions at both chess and Go this year. If you haven't heard of Go, uh, it's the world's most complex and difficult board game. Um, and an artificially intelligent computer learned to beat the world's best players this year in just four days. SpaceX launched 17 rockets into space this year. I think actually it's 18, because there was one just from Friday. Spectacular launch over California on Friday. Uh, so they've set a new world record for the number of successful launches by one organization in a single year. And all of the boosters that went up came back safely and landed gently on their launch pads ready to be used again. Scientists developed an artificial womb this year, and they used it to incubate a very premature lamb, and the lamb was born perfectly healthy. Archaeologists discovered the world's oldest fossil this year, and astronomers observed two neutron stars smashing into each other in space, uh, which is something that nobody's ever seen before. So these two stars crashed into each other, and they spit out a bunch of heavy metals, like gold and silver and platinum. All right, so the amount of gold that was created when these two stars crashed into each other is estimated to weigh about the same as 200 Earths. Okay, so I did a bit of quick math, uh, and that's the equivalent of 48,532 trillion, trillion, trillion dollars worth of gold. Uh, Merry Christmas, universe. <laughs> Uh, that's even enough to pay America's national debt. <laughs> Too bad that it's 130 million light years away. Um, so those are just some of the amazing things that have happened this year. Truly wondrous things that people have seen and that people have done. But today on Christmas Eve, we remember that the birth of Jesus 2,000 years ago is still the most wondrous thing that's ever happened, right? The most amazing thing any year or anywhere. It's still top of the list. Because the God who made everything there is in this marvelous universe was born into it himself as a tiny baby. And we just heard part of that story from Luke chapter 1, when the angel announced to Mary that it was going to happen. And you can find that back on page 855 of the Church Bible. So if you can grab a Bible, uh, page 855, it's Luke uh, 1, beginning at verse 26, where the angel Gabriel comes to visit Mary. And this is, this is really an amazing story. We've heard it lots of times, but it's really an amazing story, right? The, an angel comes to visit a poor, ordinary woman, a teenager. Um, and it's not just any old angel, this is actually an archangel, one of the four greatest and most powerful and important angels there is, the most powerful angel in heaven, the archangel Gabriel. And he came to this poor, ordinary woman, and he told her that she was going to have a baby 
even though she wasn't married, even though she'd never been married. And then the woman said to the angel that that was okay. And they're all amazing things in this story. But of course, the part of the story that makes it the most wondrous thing that's ever happened is who that baby was. The angel said that he was going to be called the Son of God. So when the angel announced that plan, Mary quickly identified a small problem with it. Because she wondered aloud, how will this be, since I am a virgin? She just wanted to check that there hadn't been some mistake. Did his GPS take him to the wrong house? Did he mean to go to the house next door where the woman was already married? But no, there was no mistake. The angel didn't disagree with Mary's self-disclosure. She was telling the truth. She was indeed a maiden. But that was the whole point. Verse 35, the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. So the angel's answer to Mary was quite detailed and specific. The child will be called the Son of God. And that's not the only time we hear that title. It can be a little bit ambiguous. Different people can mean different things by it. Even the Bible uses that title, Son of God, in a few different ways. So Adam is sometimes called the Son of God because he was the first man and was created directly by God. Angels are sometimes called sons of God for similar reasons. And Israel's kings were sometimes called sons of God because God had anointed them to reign. But here in Luke 1, we're not left guessing what the angel means because he explains exactly what he means by the title. Jesus gets the title Son of God because he was directly born of God. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And we'll soon find out in Luke's Gospel that it also means that Jesus is himself God, the divine eternal God the Son, born into time. He took on flesh and became incarnate. Incarnate, that's a marvelous word that means in the flesh. We like that word. So um, when Taylor and I were getting together four years ago to start dreaming about the church that we were going to plant together, he asked me about this time of year, what do you think about calling the new church Incarnation? And we both agreed that that should be the name because it's just such an awesome gospel word. It's so pregnant with the power of God and so central to the gospel that saves us. And it's a word that had to be invented to describe the life of Jesus, right? Because no one else was incarnate before Jesus. We humans aren't incarnated. That's just not the right word for us. We're just born. Uh, flesh is part of our existence. We need it to live. And we start to exist when our flesh starts to grow for the first time. So we're not incarnated. And neither are we reincarnated, only resurrected. The word incarnation implies an existence and a personhood before the flesh. So the word had to be invented to describe what happened to Jesus. And the only person who's ever been incarnated is Jesus. Because he existed for all eternity before he was born, but at a certain moment in human history, he took on flesh. He clothed himself in flesh inside the body of a teenage woman called Mary. She humbly offered herself to God for this reason. Perhaps without even knowing the full extent of what was going to happen to her, that she was going to become, in a sense, the mother of 
Perhaps she herself had trouble believing it, but nevertheless, it happened inside her body. The one who designed and made the womb used her womb to enter into his own world. All right, so hold out your hand in front of you and make a little cup like this with your palm. All right, look into that. That's called the hollow of your hand, right? How much water fits into that hollow? How many sips? Just a few, right? Just a very little bit of water. Even if you've got great big hands like mine, they don't even hold enough to fill up a shot glass. All right, so now spread apart your thumb and your pinky finger as far apart as they'll go like that. That's called your span. What size object can you measure with your span? Something fairly small, right? Uh, maybe a pencil, or your toothbrush, or a bar of chocolate, something like that. Now, the prophet Isaiah says this, when God holds up his hand and cups it into a hollow, he can fit all the oceans of the earth into that hollow. And when he makes a span, he can measure the universe with that span. Isaiah 40 Verse 12, he has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span. So God is very big, right? Very, very big, almost too big to imagine. But on the first Christmas, he made himself very small, just a few cells wide. He started off so big that he could hold the world's oceans in the hollow of his hand and ended up so small that you could hold him in the hollow of your hand. He started off so big that he could measure the universe with his span and ended up so small he could be measured end to end by your span. Our holy God, the creator, shrunk himself into the body of a tiny baby and entered into his own creation. So it's like if Shakespeare stepped onto the stage of Hamlet or if Conan Doyle walked onto the page of a Sherlock Holmes mystery. The author became part of the story, a character in the story. And I don't know whether or not you believe that really actually happened. Maybe you don't come to church very much and you're just visiting today because it's Christmas Eve. And that's fine. You're very welcome. Please stay and have Christmas cookies with us after the service. <clears throat> but even if you're not really sure <clears throat> that that really happened, maybe you can still agree with me that it's a truly amazing idea. Maybe even the most fantastical thing you've ever heard of. Nothing else in any religion or cult is as mind-blowing as the incarnation of God. Nothing. So not the parting of the Red Sea before Moses, nor the sun standing still over Joshua, nor the angel appearing to Muhammad in the cave, nor Joseph Smith's discovery of the ancient gold plates. Nothing in all the religious teachings of the world is nearly as astonishing as the incarnation of the Son of God and nor anything else in the world of fiction. So not when a frog turns into a prince, nor when Icarus flies into the sun and burns his wings, nor when a Death Star destroys a planet. Nothing as marvelous and amazing as the incarnation of God has ever been imagined. And yet we believe the best thing about it is that it's true. It happened. That the most wondrous thing that's even imaginable is something that actually happened. So we sing the words... Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with us to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. So it's amazing that Jesus came, that God the Son became flesh. But perhaps even more wonderful than what he did is why he did it. 
right? Jesus took on flesh forever. Did you know that he still has his body now? He'll keep it for all eternity. He had half of eternity with no body and the other half with a body. He keeps his body. He's never unincarnated. That's not a word. Um, he's permanently, physically downsized, like Matt Damon in that new movie. <laughs> and the reason Jesus did that is for us, for our sake. It was a completely selfless act motivated by love. So Paul wrote this to the Corinthians. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. So before the first Christmas, before the incarnation, Jesus was rich. The whole universe belonged to him, right? Everything, all the gold from all those neutron stars that had collided anywhere in the, in the universe. Uh, Jesus owned that. But when he was born in Bethlehem, he became poor. He lived for 30 years as a basically penniless Jewish peasant. And he did that so that he could make us rich so that he could save us and forgive us and adopt us into the family of God and give us the whole earth as our future inheritance. Jesus came to give all that to you and his body in heaven still wears the scars of what that cost him. So imagine if Leonardo da Vinci, because of his love for the Mona Lisa he painted, permanently made himself paint. Imagine he made himself paint. Imagine he became paint and entered the world of the canvas for her. Isn't that a crazy idea? <laughs> Hard to imagine. But if it happened, it would point to a passionate, wholehearted, devoted kind of love. And that's exactly the sort of thing we are talking about. That Jesus became part of his own creation for our sake, for yours and mine. It's a really remarkable gift. And it's a gift that has your name on it. So I was putting gifts under the tree this week, um, and I picked up one that was just really unusually beautiful, uh, just beautifully wrapped in this kind of vivid blue fabric with exquisite designs embroidered in gold and bright colors. It was amazing. And I took a minute just to marvel at the beauty of this gift. I could tell right away that it was the work of my sister-in-law, Naomi. Um, and then I noticed that it had a tag on it, and the tag said, my name. My name was on this gift, and I felt this little moment of surprise and amazement that such an exquisitely presented gift was for me. I was only admiring the gift itself. I hadn't even thought about who it was for, but it was for me. And that's true of the incarnation too. The baby born in Bethlehem is an exquisite gift, an eternally precious gift from heaven, and the tag has your name on it. He's a gift for you to make you rich, to give you what you most need. So at this time of year, many of us have a favorite book or a favorite movie that we like to come back to, a Christmas favorite that we revisit year after year. So maybe your family watches the same special movie together every Christmas, something like A Christmas Carol or It's a Wonderful Life. And we revisit these stories year after year because they move us because they make us feel something deeply. They fill us with what we might call the Christmas spirit. And they move us because someone in those stories does something like what Jesus did. They choose to become poor 
to make someone else rich. Or they lay down their own lives in some self-sacrificial way to give someone else a precious gift. And that points to the heart of what Christmas is about. That's the essential ingredient in the Christmas spirit, right? And if we keep, uh, we do keep loving Christmas long after we're children, as long as we don't lose that key ingredient. It sounds obvious, but it's really easy to forget. So this time of year, it's easy to get selfish and self-indulgent, right? To become greedy, grabby, graspy. And we start to say, I want you to give me the Christmas I've been dreaming about. The Christmas I deserve after the year I've had. I want good presents and to fill up my belly with treats and nice drinks and for my family to behave themselves and be nice to me. And I want my turn first. That's greedy, grabby, graspy. And it's the opposite of Christmas. Most of us will be going to spend time with our extended families today and tomorrow. And I call us all, children and grown-ups, to be a light in our homes by behaving like people who've already received the world's most wonderful gift, who know that we've already been made rich by the Son of God. And so our attention is on who else we can make rich by laying down our lives. So who is the tiny Tim who needs a turkey dinner to feel like a king? Is it a lonely aunt who needs to talk for a couple of hours and be heard and seen? or a neighbor who's had a year full of grief, or an exhausted parent who just needs a few hours off, or a young cousin who's disappointed with his own presence and really needs a turn with your new toy. Mary made us all rich when she said yes, with her wonderful yes. She said to the angel, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to the word. Some of the most amazing words ever spoken. She said yes to God with so much courage. And so the Son of God was born into the world. And my prayer this Christmas is, may it be that our own yes to God, whatever form that takes, would bring that same gift to someone in our families this Christmas. Make it so, Lord, that someone would receive God's Son, Jesus, for themselves for the first time. Because we said yes to God and laid aside what we wanted. That's how Jesus came and that's how he comes. And he's a gift so precious we would choose it over anything else. Even over a warp speed spaceship to go and retrieve some of that 48,532 trillion, trillion, trillion dollars of gold. Amen.